Hey everybody and welcome to episode 20. I was going to say we've got to double digits, but that's not how math works. Episode 20 of Mastication Nation, the mathematically inept Sorry. podcast. <laughs> hey Will. We're, we're good at speaking, not doing math. Yeah. Hey Will, uh, so a guy and his friend go into a little bistro for lunch. And the first guy orders and said, yeah, the pub sandwich sounds, sounds pretty good. And the other guy looks at the menu and he's like, I don't know. And the waitress comes over and he goes, you know what? I'll have a quickie. And she smacks him. And his friend leans over and goes, I believe it's pronounced quiche. Oh, God. You're oh, dyslexic. No, you might not, not get that one. but <laughs> No, no, I get it. <laughs> So, yes, that's that's uh, Q. We didn't have a lot to work with for Q, but we'll come back to that in a minute. Anyway, how are you, Will? Have you managed to survive the California fires? Yeah, yeah. And sorry if it's a little echoey. Hopefully that's not getting picked up too much by the, the mics, but we have just moved. Uh, and just to call back to the last episode, uh, apparently we didn't explain the loud banging that was going on um, in, the, in the episode. That was actually our upstairs neighbors, our old house, uh, moving some stuff around. And uh, that's one of the reasons we moved. I, um, I deliberately edited out the explanation because I just wanted it to sound completely incongruous. <laughs> not yeah it was uh i'm glad it got picked up on the audio but no we're, we're doing we're doing okay the the fires are pretty much contained but for a while here it was kind of uh pretty horrific um we had worse air quality here in the bay area than anywhere else in the world for five days straight so uh yeah some of the pictures were were unbelievable and i think it sounds like those fires were, were recording on the 26th of November. It looks like those fires were slowly under, coming under control. But at what, uh, what price to pay? Holy cow. I know, exactly. An entire town wiped off the face of the earth. And I know we just had Thanksgiving and, and I am I almost made this my uh, best thing I've eaten since we last recorded. But my best thing I've eaten since I've last recorded was a big, deep breath of air. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would imagine. I would imagine. I saw that you guys had some rain recently that uh, probably was a very welcome sight to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's funny because we... Guy Fieri, for some reason, came up in the last layovers episode, and I can't remember why. I think somebody was suggesting one of his airport eateries, and I, it reminded me how, how much stuff he does for people in situations like this. So another shout-out to him, again, irrespective of what you may think of his content or his or his food, uh, any of his restaurants. But he does a lot for communities that are hit by these fires because he's a native Californian, isn't he, or at least an adopted. Yeah, he's from, no, no, he, he's from Santa Rosa. Uh, yeah, he was Bay Area. born there, but like, yo, no, he's he's up there, and yeah, for for whatever you think about his persona, um, he's always on the front lines of trying to help out in those kind of situations, auctioning off things, or in this case, doing however many fifteen hundred free meals uh, to people who had been affected by the fires in the North Bay and and further north. Yeah, yeah, he seems like a, a genuinely good dude. So that's that's very cool of him, and you know, he's not the only only celebrity out there. I saw a picture of Ronald Schwarzenegger today or yesterday doing serving out breakfast to firefighters so people are stepping up which is which is really great former governor former guy go- well yeah yeah and he's a he's a, a proud californian as well as well as a proud austrian so we uh it's been a while since we last recorded we had those two back-to-back episodes which seem to have gone down really well with everybody it's kind of a nice uh little screw up there having those two p episodes because they're both nice hearty Pithy episodes or or subject matter, I should say, pizza and peanut butter. But we had some uh, 
we had some nice feedback but on on both subjects um from from rob hinchcliffe uh did you see the thing that he sent us on twitter this the uh yeah the who was it by john bergerman yeah which uh, uh, what a, a great name yeah bergerman yeah uh was it the cookbook how to eat sorry the kids book how to eat pizza with these wonderful sort of mr men style drawings and uh definitely gonna have to check that out um i don't have kids um but i'll definitely check it out for myself yeah yeah he um rob we should retweet this he he sent us this link uh, on it's nice that.com, which is, I can imagine Rob saying that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll send out that one. It looks great. John Bergerman, How to Eat Pizza. Uh, and uh, Saeed in, in the UAE, which, which, where I, I was yesterday, I was in Abu Dhabi for the first time. Interesting place. I liked it a lot. He said that uh, in the UAE, our shameful pizza combo is shawarma pizza, chicken, garlic sauce, pickles, parsley, and onion. And he said, he, he kind of ends the tweet by Caveat. saying, honestly delicious. And you replied, I think quite wisely, saying it just it probably sounds amazing. Yeah, we had this we had this pizza place that was down the street from us at at school. Uh and boarding school, you get very bored of the same food over and over again. So anything even just marginally good pizza is uh you know a gift from God. And they had this weird deal with us that if you ordered a large pizza only for the school, you got a small one free. And so my friend and I used to buy that together and we'd have like the same meat lovers as the large, but then we would go through their entire menu with the menu with the small ones or like trying things out that's a good idea yeah exactly just try everything they had and the one that i always shamefully came back to was the kebab pizza which uh had uh big slices of donna meat on top of it which uh you know was fantastic at the time but looking back at it it's probably why i, I wheeze when i get up yeah and honestly when when i saw that tweet uh i i thought that looks really flipping good <laughs> or sounds really flipping it. He, yeah. he, he didn't send a picture, but I think it looks, it sounded really, really good. Nothing, nothing shameful about that at all. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, Ross Manson, you probably won this round. Uh, he sent a message over on Twitter of uh, a photo of his own built pizza oven, which he made for uh, 40 quid. So he said, I thought you guys might like my pizza oven. I made it in the garden for about 40 pounds and the pizzas were fantastic. And I'll retweet this, but you know, the inside uh, photo of the flame looks like a professional grade soapstone kitchen. Ross, it it looks great. I'm, can you tell us how you did it? Because it look, I I can see the bricks in there and it looks like it's covered with, with, I don't know, something to, to insulate it. But if tweet back at us and tell us how you made it, because that is really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know it. I don't have the space in our new place, but um, I, I, I tweeted out a couple of my endeavors in the pizza world just using a, my pizza stone, but I would love to love to have something getting up to the six, seven, eight hundred degree See, the, range. Yeah, I mean, as, you, as we talked about in the episode, that you need that to really do that. And I'm going to come back to pizza a little bit later. Um, I now have a pizza oven envy. Although I, we talked about this when we recorded, and Kenji is still doing. He's still testing these pizza ovens, and I think that there's mm-hmm. either going to be something in his new book, which I think is going to be out either next year or the year after, about um, doing pizza at home. But none of the pizza that he's posted looks bad, so it feels like those those um, home pizza ovens that you can get or the additions you can put on to a barbecue. Uh, uh, are all producing really strong results. 
Mm-hmm. And it's funny because just because I spent so much time on his Instagram and and Sirius Eats, I'm now getting retargeted by Amazon or whoever it might be for all of those devices. So stay tuned. I might get one. Yeah, if you do, I'd love to know. And if you guys have a home pizza oven, uh, give us a shout and tell us if you like it. And I'd be also interested to know if you have any kind of pizza equipment, be it a pizza stone or an oven or one of those barbecue adapters. How often do you use it? I'd love to know. I'm always interested in like those one... What does Alton, Alton Brown call them? The, uh, unitaskers. Unitaskers, that's it. He doesn't call it a unitasker, the one that he, the, the a pizza stone, because he always just leaves it in the bottom of his oven, which you can do with certain kinds of ovens, not all of them, um, and cooks bread on it and pizza and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, yes, I understand like a, like a dedicated pizza oven, unless you're, you know, cranking out kids' birthday parties, then you're probably not going to be using it a lot. But yeah, if you guys have one, let me know how, how often you're using it. And uh, Pimp My Dibber, Ben, went on Scott's Pizza Stores. He, he uh, heard about it on our episode. Of course, we're very grateful f- to Scott for joining us on the last episode which, which for a really, really interesting chat. But uh, Ben was in New York and went on the, the pizza tour, and it sounds like he, he had a great time as well. And it snowed. For while they were on the tour, just to add a little bit of atmosphere to that. So again, if you're if you're going to be in New York, if you live in New York, um, I should tell my cousins. We have two cousins that live in New York. Go on Scott's Pizza Tours. They are absolutely fantastic. Even if you think you know a lot about pizza, you don't compared to Scott or or any of his guides. So so go. Um, I sent this to Will when I was in Hong Kong. I was in Hong Kong with my my family and my in laws a couple of weeks ago, and. That pizza monstrosity that we discussed in, in in Hong Kong, I saw in the flesh, and I sent Will a picture of it with this. They call it the cheese roni. It's the one with the shrimp and the stuffed crust hot dogs, and what else did it have on it? Peach, mayonnaise. peach, yeah, mayonnaise, shrimp. Uh, it doesn't even look like a pizza. It, honestly, it looks like a plate of sick. It, <laughs> I think that like uh, Scott, um, while he was on the uh, on the episode the two weeks ago, whatever it was, uh, two episodes ago, sorry. Um, while I was being somewhat militant about what my my op- opinions of pizza are, while he is the 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 bona fide expert on it all, was somewhat democratic about it, the whole thing. But I don't classify that monstrosity as pizza. No, I think I think even Scott and I, and I appreciated Scott's uh, approach to the definition of pizza, and I think it's a very healthy way of looking at it. But I think even he would struggle to to look at that and go, "This is okay. I'm fine with this." In fact, I'm going to send it to him and see see what his reaction is see if we can get a sound bite from him so yeah thanks for the pizza episode feedback and of course peanut butter uh i was kind of i was not expect expecting this and also ben you had a great time in new york but you're no longer allowed to listen to this podcast anymore because you sent the most offensive tweet that we've ever received <sighs> peanut butter and marmite on toast and a picture to go with it that's a war crime Peanut butter and Marmite on toast. There's so much going on there. Ben, we need to talk. Are you okay, buddy? Yeah. Is this a cry for help? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, maybe we're wrong. Okay, you know what? I'm going to try it. For the next episode, I will, in between now and then, I will try this and I will report back if I'm still alive. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I, I like our in in in, in between episode uh, experiments where Alex might not come back to the next one. Yeah, adds a little bit of uh, make sure you tune in, right? <laughs>
<laughs> exactly. It's a very special episode. So uh, this 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 tweet from Fear Range, and again, dude, I don't know how to pronounce that. If we're pronouncing it wrong, then let us know. But did you have you had these things before that he's referencing? Yeah, he said, I recently have discovered this wonderful snack, salty on the outside with a hint of sweetness from a peanut butter within. And it's those um, pretzels, those little pretzel bites that have peanut butter inside them. And I tweeted back that we have our own, um, obviously, we're Silicon Valley office. Uh, We have snacks brought in, obviously. And um, we have those in our office as well. And they're always the first thing to go. Um, but Fear Range, you, I've been following you on Instagram. You have one of the most interesting lives I've ever seen. Not only is his food game on point, it's always trying out some of the best new stuff, um, a lot of Southeast Asian and, and Chinese food. But Dude Royce is, uh, drives race cars for a living. Like, cool. I need to meet the, meet him, and we need to do like it, like eating in cars kind of thing. Like, what's the best takeout and drive through? That's a great idea. I don't know. I think I, he's California based as well. I don't. I don't know where you are, man. But you have. Let us know, and we'll uh, we'll get you on the show. I th- yeah. I think you might be in Southern California. So yeah, we're. Um, if you guys want some food porn, then definitely follow him on Instagram. It's F E A R R A N G E F E Arrange. Again, <laughs> there's probably some obvious pun we're missing there. But anyway, there we are. And uh, finally, on the on the feedback, and again, guys, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, we had an iTunes review, a couple of iTunes reviews, but this one specifically about the peanut butter episode from Gretchen M. Spinrad. Again, uh, the pronunciation apology there if I screwed that up. Just finished listening to the peanut butter episode. Here's how much I like this show. I am deathly allergic to peanuts and still listen to this. That's very brave. <laughs> I've always wondered how many people that are allergic to things love the thing that they're allergic to. Because that's a curse as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm technically allergic to milk, but that doesn't stop me. You're being attacked by your cat. Or, or just a, 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 some kind of furry appendage. <laughs> that's all I can see. Cat's butt in my face. They are. Uh, Alex and Will have great chemistry and their content is a great mix of banter. Top bants. Food history and discussions you can use to discover something new for your palate. Just not peanuts for me, I'm afraid. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. And uh, if you help, uh, if you listen and you like, then please do uh, get in touch and also leave us a review on uh, on iTunes or, or whatever your podcasting platform of choice is. So weirdly, or weirdly for us anyway, we are recording on a Monday because Will is available and I was not available yesterday because I was in an airplane. And it's also rather early for Will. So Will, given that it's what, 23 minutes past nine on a Monday in the morning, what are you drinking? A large glass of scotch. No, um, <laughs> some high quality H2O. High quality H2O? Yeah. Yeah. I've got to go to the dentist right after this. So not going to be looking forward to having the dentist being like, why do you smell like beer? So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just drinking the, the straight up water today, unfortunately. So here's a question. Um, is it tap water, bottled water, filtered water? Um, the first glass of the day was uh, was water that had been run through my Britta filter in the fridge. And then I drank all that. And now I'm drinking water straight out of the tap. What's the, what's the water what the water tastes like where you are? Uh, people are weirdly particular about their tap water. Okay, I'll just uh, yeah give us give us the flavor notes. Uh, like I said, we just moved and um, Richmond, this area of Richmond is famous because it has a uh, quite a lot of an industrial past. 
There, there's a um, there's a, a Chevron refinery about ten miles away as well, and because of that, the laws in Richmond are so strict that they have to have some of the strongest water and air quality um, like uh, rules and regulations of anywhere in the Bay Area, just because of the likelihood not likelihood but the omnipresence of of mass industry here. So the water is fine. It does taste heavily chlorinated. Um, but not, not metallic, which I don't, I, I've noticed like hard water tastes very metallic. It's fine. I mean, we run it through the filter most times just because it gives it a nicer flavor. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I people are, I, I, I find that people in Manhattan are really, uh, they love their water and they go anywhere else in the world and go, ugh, the water here is gross. Uh, well, that's something we should have asked Scott about, um, because. Oh, water and pizza, of course bring in water from New York from wherever they are in the world to be able to make the bagels and make the, the pizza. I read recently and I'm annoyed with myself for not remembering this for the for the that episode because it did come up that that the water is actually a load of nonsense that it makes almost no Oh, it was I think it was on David Chang. I think it was on the um Ugly Delicious where they said the water really is inconsequential. But uh yeah, I'm very I, sure I think it's that more of a marketing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's more marketing. Too. I think it's one of those things where you where you're trying to make some, what you produce defensible or not replicable by saying, "Well, you can't make it because you don't have the water." Yeah, it's like a um, providence of re- regional providence thing that the French give out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's it, we'll have to go dig up that article and talk about it. I have a little. Uh, I have a special treat for my what I'm drinking today. Our our, it's our Capri Sun. It's a Capri Sun. Yep. You uh, actually we get those here. Uh, our very generous uh, friend, Craig McCormick of Africa Tap Rooms and Breweries up north, sent me a little care package with some of their beer and a t-shirt and a, and a little, not a little, an actual beer glass. And so I have one of their beers. I have many of them. Can, be the, can this be the first ever official Mastication Nation sponsor? Yeah. Hey, Craig, dude, we should <laughs> do something like that. We should definitely do that. Um, but he he was very very generous indeed, and I I'm, I really um, I'm grateful. He sent me this um, this sampler pack of their beers, and they're they they have the most extraordinary names, wonderful names. This one is called <laughs> Highland Suntan, which I rather like, <laughs> uh, and it's an extra pale ale. No, oh, that's brilliant. I was gonna ask, gonna ask. It was like it's either gonna be a red ale or or extra pale ale. It's an extra pale ale. I'll I'll post. Craig, tell me if I'm allowed to do this, but I'm gonna ho- post some uh, some photos of the other ones uh, as well. But I'm uh, I haven't opened it yet. I'm gonna open it now and pour it into this beautiful Glenafric Brewery glass. <sighs> and just so people know, where 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 is Glenafric based? Liverpool. So, yes, um, in Liverpool, they have a beautiful brewery and tap room in – where did I say it was? It's in Liverpool, but it's in Birkenhead. Uh, so I believe that you can go and check them out. Okay, so here are the other names of the beers. Highland Suntan, which is what I'm about to enjoy. Medal of Mosaic. Lock, L-O-C-H, and Load. Uh, Black Bros, B-R-O-S-E, which is an oatmeal porter. Th- they're just really clever. The tat room looks beautiful. We're going to have to come up and visit you. The beer that I, I, I have smells absolutely fantastic. And it's a beautiful... Well, only Will can see this, but it's a beautiful color. And 
God, yeah, that's good. You guys know what you're doing. <laughs> you guys know what you're doing. So, uh, can you order online? Not yet, but I'm very sure that you'll be able to soon. Uh, you can do to- brewery tours. Get in touch with them. I'm not pimping them because they've sent me stuff. I'm pimping them because they're good and Craig's a good dude. So, wow, goddamn, that's good. I'm just going to keep <laughs> I think we both need to open up PO boxes in our respective countries for, for other yeah. future endeavors. Well, the next time you're uh, you're in England, then that's the place to go. Wow, good deal, well played, guys at at Glen Affric. I think the chaps uh, up there. So yeah, that was good. So it's been a while since we've recorded, and the last episode came out about a month ago. Uh, so what have you eaten other than a, a nice big gulp of fresh air that you have really enjoyed? Yeah, I was thinking about this, and we've been in a new place for about three weeks now, and unfortunately, it's just been that I haven't really been able to to get out that much, and uh, when we moved in, there were no oven grates, or no no oven racks in our oven for about two and a half weeks, so a lot of stovetop cooking, which is not as fun as I remember it to be, Um, but I think... think Shifting uh, perspective a little bit, I'll go with something that uh, I had out. And uh, I live in this area that's right on the water um, on a marina in in Northern California now. And unfortunately, there aren't that many restaurants, but there is one about 15 minute walk along the water from where we live. um, That is this like Vietnamese place and throwing a little bit of fusion in there. But we went there the other night and uh, had some fantastic egg rolls and some they did some like uh was a honey sriracha buffalo wing so really throwing in some american stuff in there but they also did um shaking beef which is like you know just spicy beef on a skittle uh, skillet on a skittle on a <laughs> skittle <laughs> with skittles which was really really good and it was really affordable i'm just so used to like being blown away by like having to pay like $25 for an entree in the US and like this was like you know for two people was like $20 and so wow uh, really 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 solid um you know by the end of the the meal our, our our tab was significantly higher just because they got some good beers on tap there's actually a fantastic brewery just down the street from us called uh East Brothers and uh they have just some of the best um what's the word I'm looking for I don't know these words but it's the uh, whatever they call the packaging design, the font, the typeface, whatever you want to call it, right. um, and they have and they have one of my favorite red lagers on tap there. So that was that was dangerous, but uh, we found our new local. As Kate says, my wife says, "Do you want to go to the restaurants?" Because it's the only option we have. Nice. Well, that's good. It's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess be thankful that the place that you have within it's striking good. distance doesn't suck. Yeah, that would, <laughs> exactly. just make, that would just be even more insulting. Yeah, we have a Subway and an Arby's. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> yeah. Pick, pick, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's awful. I think I'm going to give you most of this time because you've had a far more interesting lifestyle of, than I have over the last six weeks. Uh, I I don't know about that, but I've been to quite a few places um, just because of the nature of my existence. But, uh, yeah, I've been to – I went to Vegas uh, recently, and Vegas is strange because – you can get great food in Vegas, but I never seem to be able to find it. I always, I don't know what, maybe something to do with eating at a casino just takes the pleasure out of it. But I had two good experiences there. One was uh, Tacos El Gordo, which was actually life-changing, like almost, like actually emotional. Like 15 minutes walk down the strip from all of the crap is, is Tacos El Gordo, which is Tijuana-style taqueria. 
And a few, because I, I put a message out on Twitter asking for recommendations, and I, someone recommended it. And forgive me, because I can't remember who it was, but holy hell, that was good. It was huge. It was a real taqueria. It had al pastor, lengua, cabeza, which is um, head, brain, um, tripe, carne asada, 12 bucks for four tacos and a soda, all cooked right there. Probably the best tacos I've ever had in my life. and That's a statement. Yeah. And of all the places, it's in Las Vegas. It's not saying that Las Vegas isn't southern enough or west enough to have good tacos, but to your point, it's not somewhere that I would think of getting tacos. No, me neither. Me neither. And it was... Maybe that's why they they tasted as good because you weren't expecting that. But they you you know they they started in Tijuana. It's not like they are someone in the U.S. doing Tijuana style. They they came from Tijuana and now they have a couple in Nevada and some in California as well. Game changing. And then I was giving Will a play by play of my my meal at Tom Colicchio's steak restaurant in the Mirage. Which, <laughs> oh yeah, which is fine. I don't know what to make of Tom Galicchio. I follow him on Twitter, and he's—I guess he's just like every chef. He's very outspoken. I don't know. It was fine. It was nothing to write home about. What I think I said that the, everything needed salt. You said that everything needed salt, but then you also said, some, said something like it was—it's like uh, the food had been done by a Michelin chef, but the organization and the plating had been done by a four-year-old. Yeah, yeah, that was it. It was the the you could tell that the menu had been created by someone at the absolute top of their game. The ingredients were sourced by someone similar, but it was plated and served by someone who worked at Chili's. It just looked a bit faffy and not you know, and not in a good way. It wasn't it wasn't bad, but it wasn't worth like 160 bucks just for me to eat there or whatever. Yeah, it was well over $100 and compared to $12 for tacos that blew my mind. I think that you and Tom Colicchio need to go mano a mano because you almost started a World War Three in the food world with a tweet the other day. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, because somebody was asking Tom Colicchio about turkey prep. This is in the lead up to Thanksgiving. And he said that brining was the only way to go. And I was like, well, Kenji Lopez out says dry brining. No, the opposite. Way to go. Well, no, hold on. I'm oh, he said, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm, you're, I, I, he, I'm he, he said... Don't brine because it dry. It brings all the salt out, uh, and all the moisture out. And I am. Um, I said. I retweeted it and said, "Doesn't Cantalopus out say you should dry brine because it brings the moisture to the surface and then it reabsorbs?" And I thought, well. This is going to end badly. And Kenji replied um, saying, yeah, you should. And here's the science behind it. And uh, in as much detail as the whatever the character limit on Twitter is now. Um, so th- I thought that was kind of interesting. What did he say? Yeah, well, salt does initially draw out some of the moisture, but the physical alteration it causes in the meat means that less moisture is pushed out as it cooks than it had had you not salted or brined it. A turkey that has been salted will retain more moisture when served. I thought that was... Oh, I, interestingly, he did not include Tom Colicchio in his reply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> you don't want to start that fight. No, and I think Kenji's right. I mean, I've, I've, I've dry brined my turkeys for Thanksgiving every year, and it's always been, it's always been a, a, a huge success. But I'm glad I didn't start that fight 
quite frankly. So yeah, I, I went to Hong Kong. I went to Ishigaki. I ate amazing food in both of those places. I went to Japan for 10 days to film. More on that when the episodes hit. I ate some fantastic food there. But I will tell you easily, the best thing I ate in all of those travels was pizza. Wow. Yeah. Con- uh, apropos. Yeah, it was timely. And considering I ate at the second best sushi restaurant in Tokyo after Chiro's, and this is quantified by some, you know, unquantifiable metric. And it was it was really good in the old Skiji fish market. Um, we went to Greg uh, Barnes, Sir Greg Barnes found this, and it was because, do you know Tim and Eric? Yeah, so, so Tim, uh, uh, Eric Wareheim, as you say, he's an ultra foodie. He's got his own winery. And he was in Japan recently, I think filming something. I'm not sure what, though. And he posted uh, – he does this – He does this. I can't remember what the hashtag is. But he always posts food and always looks amazing. And Greg – Sir Greg Barnes, who found found this pizza that just looked really friggin' good. So on our last night, it was me and Greg and my niece who came along on the trip found this place called Pizza Studio Tamaki um, near near Tokyo Tower, if you know, very near Tokyo Tower, actually, if you know Tokyo at all. It was easily the best pizza I have ever had in my life. It was so damn good. And it was, it was kind of Neapolitan style, but not, not to the, you know, to the letter. 10 seat counter, um, you had to book um, wood burning stove. The guy that runs it, Tamaki, uh, he started at the Savoy, which is probably the best pizza in the world. And uh, he's opened his own joint, I think, earlier this year or late last year. It was salty crust. It was we. I think we just ordered a really simple pizza each. Unbelievable! I have never had pizza that good in my life. I, I I can't go. I still think about it, and I, I sent Greg a message saying, "This may sound weird, but do you do you think about that pizza often?" He's like, "Dude, you have no idea. You have no idea." <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! And what's crazy is that I have a, a group chat with a bunch of friends, and we're all part of uh, uh, Pro Tip um, Scott's Cheap Flights, which is oh, yeah, a website yeah. that sends you alerts for mispriced fares, and it's where my friend Alex O'Striker. Uh, got uh san francisco to to bali on hong kong air and business class uh for oh, yeah. less than a thousand bucks um and like they, we saw one the other day which was round trip to tokyo for 450 yeah you so, want to jump on that um tokyo food game is just is just crazy uh so yeah i i i can't believe it it was like 15 bucks for a pizza uh really good beer and wine that's very cheap yeah, for for Tokyo, which which can vary depending on the um, the strength of the yen and the dollar, but Pizza Studio Tamaki, do it. it oh my god, it was so friggin' good, so friggin' good. Um, I want to I want to mention something because I think this is an interesting reaction when somebody says I had this. I got into a fight with one of the other parents at my my kid's school. Uh, not an actual fight, although I felt like I probably couldn't be justified. They were like, what was the best thing you ate in Japan? And I said, pizza. And they're like, Ugh, who goes to Japan and eats pizza? I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> a, the best pizza in the world is in, in Japan. Everybody knows that. B, the best pasta in the world is in Japan. So, shh, 
Shut your whore mouth. I did eat really good food in Japan. I ate great sushi. I ate great soba. I had, I had, and you'll see this, I think, in one of the episodes. I had wasabi. I ate wasabi that four and a half seconds earlier was in the ground. And That's insane. I ate the, I bit the, and chewed on the root almost like you would with, with ginger. The, with ginger. Mm, no, because the root of wasabi is like, uh, is like horseradish or ginger, but then it has these smaller protrusions which okay. go into the water. And that's what you nibble on, almost like lemongrass. Oh, okay. And that was, that was life changing. So, yes, I, pizza was the best thing I had in Japan. I also ate lots of other wonderful things. I had miso ramen in the street in which it was invented in Sapporo. But, this, I, that's how good this pizza was. That's how good this pizza was. If you go to Japan or Tokyo and you only have opportunity to eat one thing, eat that. Nice. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about quiche, which you, well, in, our, in our preparations for this and our back and forth, seemed unenthusiastic about. Do I get the sense that you do not like quiche? I have no love for the really? quiche. Really? How can you? It's so... How can you not like it? I, I think it's... Do you it's hate it or are you just like uninterested by it? To quote you on uh, the peanut butter episode, which, uh, by the way, uh, Andrew, thank you for joining our a lovely brother who's very, very quiet in the episode. And I listened to it back. I apologize to Alex and I dominated the conversation. He'll get used to it. We'll bring him <laughs> back and he'll be, we'll get him, have a, give him a couple more beers. Yeah, exactly. Um, was that you were saying that if you can't find Skippy, you'll just straight up ignore it mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to peanut butter. If I'm at a place and they're like a buffet or a brunch and uh, quiche is on the menu, I'll probably ignore it. Um, for me, it's not necessarily – it's like, where's the pizza? I mean, I know they're not the same thing at all, but they're round and cut into triangles. I kind of want to like, you know. I think I I don't know maybe it's just a uh, a thing. I'm like I really wish this was pizza rather than than some gelatinous wobbly eggy thing. You're just okay. So what is it then? It's gelatinous and wobbly. What, that's what, what what is a quiche? What defines a quiche? It, it it's a cooked savory custard in a pie shell of some variety. Uh, generally, just your typical American-style pie crust is what it's served in. Um, but yeah, it's it's a cooked savory custard baked. It really is, isn't it? Because when I when I started researching this episode, someone described it as as a custard, and I was like, "No, it's not a custard. Don't be gross." Because I hate custard, and. That's that's exactly what it is. That's literally what it is. Yeah, and you got to remember that a custard is the baseline of so many different applications in the cooking world. Um, by definition, a custard is egg and a liquid. Uh, nine times out of ten, it's uh, going to be a dairy. Um, and so you're you're mixing those two things together, and you're creating the base for quiche. Ice cream, creme anglaise, desserts. It, it, it's used in, in both savory and uh, sweet applications, flan, creme caramel, all of that. Hollandaise, exactly. They're, they're all custards. And then you've got straight up custard, which I think is what might be throwing you off because I know that your mind is probably going straight to birds custard. It's going to boarding school. My son and yeah, I had a exactly. discussion about this today as I picked him up from school. He's like, Dad, do you like custard? I'm like, no, because I went to the same prep school that you do. <laughs> it's like, good, because neither do I. 
Um, but so my wife brought up an interesting point when we were talking about this fact that we we're going to do quiche for for this episode. She's like, "Ugh, it's really difficult to cook because if you screw it up, it just turns into an omelet." Yeah. And I was like, "Whoa, hang on a second. What's the difference between a quiche and an omelet?" Well, uh, crust. Well, but other than that, what what's the difference? Is is it is an omelet a baked custard? No. No, an omelet generally doesn't have that much in the way of dairy. And the general rule for um, for a cust- the custard type that you want to use in a quiche is what the French call a royale with cheese. Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Burger King thing. Well, but technically it is. A quiche is a royale with cheese. <laughs> Um, so a royale is one cup of dairy to two large eggs, and that's the ratio you're looking for. Because if it's um, too much dairy, you're going to have this milky, soupy mess that will never set. And if you have too much egg, it's going to turn rubbery and more into a, basically a cooked scrambled egg or a cooked omelet. So you want to try and find that balance of, of wiggle and set. So that's um, – okay, that's very interesting because I didn't have an answer for her when she said – it just turns into an omelet. I'm like, well, how does it? Yeah, it all depends on on what she's she's using for, and also we'll get onto this in a bit. Ingredients that you're adding into it because there's no really such thing as just like a royale in a in um in a pie crust. You know, you add ingredients into it. The ingredients make a massive impact on the structural integrity and final product of your of your quiche. So the the golden ratio for when you're making a quiche. Or, or the the custard bit of the quiche is that royale, the one cup of dairy to two large eggs, and then scale accordingly. Yeah, I mean, some people I've seen have referred to as a half a cup of dairy to to one egg. Um, if you're looking at a smaller smaller pie tin, I'm interested that you say dairy and you're not saying milk. Well, because you can use half and half, you can use uh, heavy cream, you can use... Because Royale is used in a lot of different applications. It's used in um, uh, sweet ones as much as it is in this in, in, in a quiche. So you've got to play it off as, what am I doing with it? So I guess you would augment the... the the dairy, but I get your point about you know the higher fat content is going to impact it. But basically, it's more about the amount of liquid to eggs. Okay. And eggs are very important in this, and we'll get onto that in a bit because eggs are the star of this show and the star of every show. Yeah, because it almost—it's almost like an egg pie, and I think I—I I like quiche. I, I wouldn't go out of my way to get it unless I was somewhere that was um, uh, particularly famous for it. But I'd never turn it down. I think a good quiche is absolutely delicious, especially if it's a. If it's hot, because it can be served hot or cold. And I think it's one of those things that if you have it cold, I think it kind of takes away from the magic. But it's also really easy to F it up. The official snobbish French way of of doing it is slightly above room temperature. That's how it should be served. Not hot, not cold. I did not know that. Yes. Um, And to the non-snobbish, slightly... Uh, philistine view of an american i've seen recipes called uh refrigerated pie because quiche is too foreign sounding um and the reason it's called refrigerated pie is because it's a great way to use up any leftovers you have in the fridge like leftover uh like you know roast chicken or or blanched uh vegetables that you can throw in and so i used to call it i used to do this thing that was uh what my mother-in-law called a magic trick i would look in her fridge where she said she had nothing and then make refrigerated pasta like basically a pasta with all the 
bits and ends and stuff like that. And this is the uh, pie version of that. Well, it's funny because I think quiche was very fashionable in America in the 1960s and 70s. It was exotic. It was uh, it was even uh, there was a um, a line in a Stephen Sondheim musical called Company that re- referred to to quiche and ladies, the ladies who lunch, basically. Uh, and then it went massively out of fashion. And there were all these there were all these recipes. There's a phenomenal New York Times article from about seven or eight years ago about there were these recipes that featured uh, bisquick that made its own crust as you baked the the <laughs> yeah okay yeah <laughs> gross. Um, but here's the thing, and this is the point that this article makes as well: is that you go to any French boulangerie or patisserie, and the quiche that they have sitting in their counter will be fantastic. And it's still, it was never sort of this ephemeral pop in France. Of course, it's arguably where it came from. And we'll come, we'll come back to that in a minute. It's one of those, it's a staple, I think, of, of, of French eating. Um, that is, so you can go to any of these places and they'll be, they'll be very, very good. Even if, even when you go into Carrefour and you spend a euro on, will still be pretty friggin' good for a quiche. That, uh, that, you know, you can just grab off the shelf. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that um, while it had its vogue uh, in the U.S. in the 70s, it's now starting to come back a little bit. I think with the, the, the breaking the rules a little bit, and maybe this is why I'm not the biggest fan. Uh, look, Quiche Lorraine, which we'll talk about in more depth as being the big bad boy of the of the quiche world, is interesting. It's fine. Um, you know, a lot of the traditional quiche um, ingredients are kind of boring and not that imp- interesting to me. Um, but given the fact that you can do so much more with it and add stuff that, you know, I, I, maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves here. But what I'm nine times out of ten are missing. I'm missing with a quiche is either spice or texture and so when i i know that i've had quiche in the past where i've got hot sauce and like dumped hot sauce on top of it to make it more like eggs that i like or you know crumbled up i know that they do bacon in a lot of it but sometimes it's not that crunchy but like you know uh fried onions and then just like right on top of that that might do something for me but in its traditional old school way it's it's too mono for me yeah, no, I understand. I understand, but and we should come back to what the ingredients uh, are at the at the most basic level and what people have done to create different versions of it. But it's been around as a dish, maybe not in name, but certainly in form since the 13th or 14th century. That gets a little bit hazy from Western Europe. I mean, there are references to it in um, in the UK, in France, Italy, Germany. In fact, there's a, there's a strong argument that the name is actually a derivative of German. Yeah. So the word quiche, there's no like, there's no real warring factions on where the word comes from because no one really has an insight. But the people that are putting on their hands up the most are the Germans, and that German through thread, which you wouldn't even think quiche in German, but it does happen. Uh, a, a number of different places where Germans tip their toe into the, or stick their thumb in the pie of, uh, of quiche. Um, it comes from the word for cake, uh, which is kuchen, which I can see how, how it comes from 
quiche to kuchen or kuchen to cake, uh, uh, quiche, sorry. Um, and so that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'm, but like I said, there are references in English cuisine as early as the 14th century and in Italian cuisine as early as the, as the 13th century. And then you can also see references to recipes that had eggs and cream, which are baked in pastry with then fish or meat or fruit added. And they were... <laughs> They were called croutards of flesh, <laughs> which is not. I mean, yeah, okay. Um, and that, that was a that was a it referenced in a basically the joy of cooking from the for, from the fourteenth and fifteenth century called the form of curry or curry, which is um, um, Middle French for the method of cooking. Yeah, I think that that that's the problem is that. There are variations on people. Well, people have been putting, much like pizza we talked about, like, you know, the people have been putting uh, a custard type thing into a pie dish and baking it for centuries. But for it to be quiche, there was no real delineation on when that became. No. Um, I, I did see some, some, some references around the early 1900s as being when, like, quiche, the name sort of. Yeah, populated the certainly zeitgeist. quiche Lorraine as well. I think, I mean, you talked about that. Quiche Lorraine is the sort of base, I don't know, variant, if you will, and easily the most popular, which is the eggs and cream and then lardons, bacon essentially. And that um, that that name is a lot easier to go back to, this, the Lorraine version of France. Well, I think a lot of people think that, like, there's a bit of a misnomer in the sense of, like, not all quiches all quiche Lorraine's are quiche, but not all quiche Lorraine or quiches are quiche Lorraine. But I think most people kind of think they are um, for the uneducated. It's like, oh, this is a quiche Lorraine. Like, well, no, that's just a very specific kind of quiche. And and Lorraine, forgive us, our French listeners, it is a hard, it's not pronounced that way, but whatever, um, was a historical region of France and Germany. I mean, it, the French will say it's all France, but it was part of this German um, kingdom that that sort of basically absorbed some of France, and so that German thing, the German theme, comes through again in its uh, in its most popular variant. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely, and and that word came from a patois from that region in in the early 17th century i think yeah i think it has something to do with the, the alsatians as well yeah it absolutely does that's what that's what they spoke but he, the weird thing is that first reference of quiche lorraine as you said didn't come up until 1925 exactly and, and it was in the indiana evening gazette indiana pennsylvania not indiana indiana which which is interesting but i think that people are saying that that kind of even muddies the water even even more but no one no one sticks their hands up and says for god's sake this quiche is ours it's sort of been thrust upon the french and the french seem fine with that and no one else is going wait a minute it's ours it just it's one of those things that has become associated with france and everybody seems complete and the french are the best at it and I kind of want to, I mean, like the people who are listening who probably, I feel like this is going to be like a take, a lot of people will be like, oh, I love it, or I can take it or leave it. Um, the fact that no one's putting their hands up and being like, it's mine kind of makes my point for me. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, I, I, I like I like it, my kids like it. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's not something where I'll fight you to get a piece of quiche. 
I don't think. Maybe I will. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been put in a situation where I need to fight somebody for quiche. I saw a really interesting variation, which was um, sun-dried tomatoes. I know, so 1990s. Um, sun-dried tomatoes, leftover roast chicken, and uh, some bacon, and then um, gruyere as the cheese. And that was, sounded really good. And then if you put a little chili flake on top of that, that sounds more interesting. So my, I was going to say that, yeah, no, I think that that sounds great. But I was going to say that it's one of those things that actually, uh, given how simple it is, it's literally eggs and dairy, that it should be pretty easy to make at home. But my wife made me feel that perhaps it's not that easy to make at home, is it? Well, I mean, if you get your if you get your balances right on the on the Royale and you understand your oven, because um, it it is key. Um, you're going to be in a position where you can do some some experimenting if you followed by a few basic rules and procedures. So rule number one, if you're going to use vegetables, make sure they're already cooked because they don't have enough time to cook unless you want a raw flavor. But if it's something that has a high water content, it's not going to work. Like So if you have spinach, make sure it's blanched and bone dry before going in. Ah. Um, because if it's not, it's going to cause a bit of a slick and it's not... I bet you that is a um, a point of failure for a lot of budding quiche cookers. Yeah, and that's also why you never want to use mild cheeses or cheeses that um, have a lot of water content in there, like mozzarella. You would never have a mozzarella in a, in a, in a quiche. So you're needing to stick with your cheddars, your gruyeres, your parmesan. Goat uh, cheese, your, I think, is you know, often your, used. Yeah, goat cheese is used a lot. I mean, probably feta, but that might be too salty. Um, but stick with the rule of don't get it. Keep it Keep it dry and keep it simple, stupid. Um, and the when, when you're baking, you know, it, it, generally you're looking about half an hour for, th- for uh, at 350, but there will be different variations based on recipes you follow. The golden rule is when you, when you think it's done, take a toothpick, and it's somewhat similar to the toothpick test toothpick test with baked goods where you stick it in and if any crumbs if any crumbs come out it's not done it should come out clean um stick a toothpick in the middle of your of your quiche and then slightly press on it and if any you know uh liquid comes spurting up it means slightly press on what the quiche or the toothpick on the quiche where the hole is you want to you want to slightly press it you make the hole and then you push on the quiche and you yeah it doesn't doesn't go Vesuvius on you. So that's how you would test, uh, you know, your, your quiche at home and then let it cool down, uh, come to uh, just above room temperature and cut it. Um, and then you can have it with your pretentious brunch. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. It has a bad reputation, but it's really the most inoffensive thing. I know. I know. I don't know why I hate it so much, but I do want to take a moment to talk about eggs because they really are the star of the show. And like, I do want to spend, I would love to do, do more on eggs. Um, I think that, you know, it is a, it's liquid meat and it's really, really interesting. <clears throat> but obviously you've noticed like, you know, eggs, they come in an egg and they eggshell and they're small, and but you, you cook them and they, they expand or they become hard. And, you know, the finding the balance of the whites and the, and the, the yolks and all this kind of stuff. But um, a little bit of a science lesson on eggs. Imagine, these tightly wound ribbons or springs as the egg protein. And as you heat them, 
they break. And then within these tightly wound uh, eggs, they have these like little arms uh, that are bonds. And so as you break them, they unfurl and become these long proteins with these little arms of bonds floating around. And what they do is they grab on to the other broken egg or unfurled egg proteins uh, and, and grab onto the other ones and now making these long sort of mesh net type uh, structures that are able to capture flavor, capture everything else that's going on in your cooking. And that's, and to give the, uh, not the sense they actually are expanding because you're unfurling these, these, these proteins. And A, that's why eggs expand when you cook, but B, that's why they're so good at what they do. They're able to capture stuff when you're making a meringue, when you're making uh, a custard, when you're making, you know, quiche itself. Um, it, it's this wonderful, um, use of heat or, or, you know, just heat in general to break down these proteins and act as a food flavor web, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Nice. That's yeah, cool. And so, and so like, I, I think that eggs in general do do so much in, in cooking and we take them for granted. And yes, they're wonderful when you're just frying them or boiling them or poaching them or scrambling them, but they are a building block of absolutely everything we've done. I think Almost every single episode we've done, eggs have been involved, and except for the avocado, except but our first episode, which in some cases is a substitute for egg and yeah. looks like an egg if you cut it open. <laughs> uh, so this is my little ode to eggs there, my oval ovum ode. There you go. I like that one. Well, no, I think you're right. I think it's important to to, to point that out because you're right. You, obviously, you can't. I mean, I say obviously you can't have a quiche without eggs, but I'm sure somebody's tried to make some yeah. sort of um, yeah. weird concoction uh, without eggs. But why would you? Well, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it would be a bit. It would be a bit odd. So, um, before we wrap this episode, my eldest son Luke lived on quiche when he when you were about from like what a year old to. Well, do you like quiche now? Uh, yeah, I like it. It's really good. Nice. You still like it. Yeah, it's really nice. But you don't like all quiches because whenever I get you a quiche that's not a quiche Lorraine, mm. you don't really like it. Mm-mm. Why not? Um, it's because um, um, I like ham and all the stuff that's in it with the cheese. Um, and I don't really like um the other things that they put in it, such as the onions and onions is the one I always get that you don't like, isn't it? So you just want something with bacon in it, right? Yeah, I like that stuff. Jackie, do you like quiche? You never really liked quiche. Well, I fart. You're just trying to fart. (laughs) (laughs) All right, go on. That that stinks. All right, go on. Thank you, Lukey. Um, I guess the the way we wanted to wrap this up is um, I have obviously taken a hard stance on my approach to quiche. Um, but if you do like it, let us know what kind you like. And if the quiche Lorraine is the most overrated thing on the brunch platter, I'm more of a smoked smoke, smoke salmon guy myself. There you go. That's a good one. Smoked salmon. That, I've actually seen that. Smoked salmon, asparagus. And, yeah, nice. And I don't know what the cheese they used was. But pretty much any breakfast meal you can deconstruct and put into a quiche. Yeah, I, I like, again, I like quiche. I wouldn't go out of my way for it, but if I am served it, I'm not going to, I'm going to eat the hell out of it. I think it's good. So yeah, again, let us know what you, what you think about quiche. I think quiche is an interesting topic to choose as benign as it may be, because there's a lot of very interesting science that you, you schooled us on just then. 
But also, I think I like the fact that it was really, really fashionable in the 60s and 70s. In I have a book. Uh, Kate, Kate's uh, great aunt gave us a book when we got married, which was a book from the 70s, not a reissue, but a, a book from the 70s called something like Dining for Two or something like that. And it's, and it's and it's some of the, the photos are just horrific. I'll have to do a, sec- a section each episode where I pull out an ep- a recipe. And it's like, you know... Um, uh, what was it like jello with things in it and yeah yeah uh, you know rolled steak with vegetables and doused in ranch dressing um but i was looking to see if there was a quiche recipe in there and i was shocked to, to see that there wasn't my one of my favorite twitter novelty accounts is 70s dinner party which is just um exactly that it's it's recipes and ads from from the 50s 60s and 70s um that are all the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. So yeah, it's at seventies seven zero s underscore party. It's such a great account. Jellied lobster ring. There you are. That's a good one. Oh, gosh, lobster like survived the seventies, but a lot of things didn't. Because like lobster Newberg of- and all those kind of things. Um, so we got about a month left of the year. We'll try and get another episode and see what we can do. Obviously, you know, we did our holiday episode last year and we're rolling into uh, R and I have a sneaking suspicion I already know what R is going to be just because it's such an important one given the fact that of where you were, but I don't want to drop too many hints. Um, <laughs> and we haven't even agreed to it yet, but I also... Rizzles. It's going to be Rizzles. <laughs> yeah, we're... <laughs> Exactly. Um, and then we got S coming up and a couple of other ones. I got some ideas for S as well, which I ran past you, but we'll have to see if that makes sense um, coming into the new year. But if you have any suggestions in the short term, dear listeners, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll get, I wonder if we should do another holiday episode, but I think maybe focus on not Christmas, the other 700 holidays that happen around this year. And- and go from there so if you have traditions that are not necessarily Christmassy that are of uh, of another faith or another religion or another whatever it might be celebration tell us about that too so we can include it in a, another holiday spectacular I'm so glad we did this this uh, episode before we go into the dentist otherwise my mouth would not be able to talk right now <laughs> <laughs> well there you go uh, and until you can talk again eat well hey.